0: of James Baldwin's America. I am your host, Jesse James. I hope you're all doing well. We're going to try something a little bit different this week. I'm not going to have any guests on, but what I'm going to do is spend some time reading and talking about one of Baldwin's more famous essays, A Talk to Teachers. And what I want to do is break it down a little bit read some passages, put my own interpretation out of what Baldwin was trying to say, and apply it to what is currently happening in the United States. As many of you know, the United States election for president is happening in just a few, few short weeks, and it really is probably the most important presidential election of anyone's lifetime, and that's a popular phrase to say every four years for an election, but given what the current administration has done, the hate and the divisiveness caused by the current president, this really has become the most important election of all of our lifetimes. For those listening outside the United States, I'm sure you know this, and from articles I've seen and posts I've read from outside the country. I know many of you are absolutely dumbfounded that the current president was elected in the first place, but Hey, that's America. You know, our flaws much better than America. Americans know our own flaws and that really at the root of all things is the biggest problem. So as I said, we're going to examine the first part of the essay, A Talk to Teachers, today. And I will get to that right after this short break. All right, and as I said before the break, I'm going to read to you from A Talk to Teachers today and break things down a little bit. But before I do that, I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer for everybody out there. So this speech was originally given on October 16th, 1963, and it was published in the Saturday Review on December 21st, 1963. And again, it was reprinted in The Price of the Ticket in 1985. So some of the language might be a little bit unfamiliar to some of the listeners. So you'll hear me referencing... Khrushchev, who at this time was the leader of the Soviet Union, and I'll also be referencing the Third Reich, which of course was Nazi Germany under the helm of Adolf Hitler. When I make those references, go ahead and substitute the current president of the United States and the current administration for any of those uh, words or phrases. And one other Big note I just want to make in this speech, Baldwin does use the N word. And as much as I want to be true to Baldwin, who he was, and what he said, and what he wrote, I also want to have respect for him and the greater black diaspora. So I will not be saying that word. Instead, I will just be saying the N-word. If that offends any white people by me not saying that, I'm sorry, and hopefully you all understand. I know at least those of you who identify as Black know and understand why I will not be saying that word. All right, so let's get started. Once again, this is A Talk to Teachers by James Baldwin. Let's begin by saying that we are living through a very dangerous time. Everyone in this room is in one way or another aware of that. We are in a revolutionary situation, no matter how unpopular that word has become in this country. The society in which we live is desperately menaced, not by Khrushchev, but from within. To any citizen of this country who figures himself as responsible, and particularly those of you who deal with the minds and hearts of young people must be prepared to go for broke. Or to put it another way, you must understand that in the attempt to correct so many generations of bad faith and cruelty, when it is operating not only in the classroom, but in society, you will meet the most fantastic, the most brutal, and the most determined resistance. There is no point in preaching that this won't happen. So as many people might want to deny this, we are still in a revolutionary time in this country, and it's become so divisive in our country, I think more so than any other period, even in the 1960s when Baldwin made this speech. Every single issue in America has become either you're on the left side or the right side a middle ground for compromise has completely disappeared. And for the vast majority of issues in this country, there is some middle ground that could be found if people would just decide that they want to work together. But when we're talking about race, there is no middle ground. You are either racist or you're anti-racist. That's it. You either work against the racist system that has built this country, or you're against that system. You can't be for the system, but against racism, because racism is what built the institutions in this country, including the government, and it is racism and these racist institutions that have maintained the status quo in this country for the past 400 years. So let's go back and look at what Baldwin said and break it down a little bit. To any citizen of this country who figures himself as responsible, and particularly those of you who deal with the minds and hearts of young people, must be prepared to go for broke. Our current education system in this country is in disarray and is broken. And it needs to be fixed. And so many people... Wanna blame teachers for this. And honestly and in all sincerity, the teachers are the last people to be blamed for the current state of schools in this country. It is what we talked about earlier, it is the racist structures in this country that have put the education system to shame for the rest of the world. What we need to do is value teachers as the most important people in our country and hold them in the highest esteem, like we hold doctors and nurses and some people hold police officers. Believe me, if this country held teachers in the same regards that most white people hold police officers, we'd have the best educational system in the world. I have no doubt about that. And what it means to go for broke, we need teachers that are willing to acknowledge the racist systems in this country and not only acknowledge it, we have to teach our children where we are now and how we got here, how racist systems that have been built up for 400 years now impact them, their education, their lives, whether they're white or black. Because the color of their skin has A lot to do with not only the quality of education they're receiving, but the type of education they're receiving. And race, gender, sexuality, religion should never factor into a child's education in this country. All of our children should be receiving the same education, and it should be the highest and best quality education in the world. Baldwin goes on to say, or to put it another way, you must understand that in the attempt to correct so many generations of bad faith and cruelty, when it is operating not only in the classroom, but in society, you will meet the most fantastic, the most brutal, and the most determined resistance. Look, we know now just trying to teach black history in schools, there's resistance. It's limited for most schools to just February when it's Black History Month. The problem with that is Black history is American history. You can't separate the two. Black history began when the first slaves were brought over to America. That coincides with the first Americans being here. Slaves were brought here just 12 years after the original white settlers came to this country. So we can't separate Black history from American history. We need to teach it as American history. And we need to teach the truth of American history. We can't hide from issues that make us feel ashamed, make us feel bad about ourselves, or make us feel that we need to question the education that so many of us have already received. We have to be honest with one another. We have to be honest with our children. The education, if you're over 25 in this country, the education you received was most definitely lacking, especially when it comes to race and society in this country. You were given a whitewashed view of race in this country. You were told things like, most slaves were actually happy on their plantation. It was only a select few that didn't want to be slaves. That's not true. You were told that the cause of the Civil War was states' rights versus federal rights. That's not true. It, it was states' rights, but it was the states' rights of the South to keep human beings enslaved was the issue of the Civil War. So if we can't even deal with those most basic facts, how are we going to get into more complicated issues like the relationship between blacks and police? How are we going to deal with mass incarceration? How are we going to deal with the war on drugs that took place in the United States starting in the 1980s and continues to this day? These aren't easy topics to discuss. We can't just pigeonhole them into a nice, neat box. They're complicated and they're dirty, and we need to be willing to get dirty when we discuss these issues if we're going to present them in a clear, concise way that shows the whole picture and not just a part of the picture. I want to skip ahead a little bit to another passage in the essay. It's the third paragraph for anybody that might be following along. Now, if what I have tried to sketch has any validity, it becomes thoroughly clear, at least to me, that any Negro who's born in this country and undergoes the American educational system runs the risk of becoming schizophrenic. On the one hand, he is born in the shadow of the stars and stripes, and he is ass- is assured it represents a nation which has never lost a war. He pledges allegiance to that flag which guarantees liberty and justice for all. He is part of a country in which anyone can become president, and so forth. But on the other hand, he is also assured by his country and his countrymen that he has never contributed anything to civilization, that his past is nothing more than a record of humiliations gladly endured. He is assumed by the Republic that he, his father, his mother, and his ancestors were happy, shiftless, watermelon-eating darkies who loved Mr. Charlie and Miss Anne, that the value he has as a black man is proven by one thing only, his devotion to white people. If you think I'm exaggerating, examine the myths which proliferate in this country about Negroes. Okay, so Baldwin said a whole lot there. Let's break it down a little bit. For some reason, and I just, I guess it's willful ignorance. There are still white people out there that are completely taken aback when you tell them that slaves were in constant revolt against their owners. That they weren't just happy, as Baldwin says, happy, shiftless, watermelon-eating darkies who loved Mr. Charlie and Miss Anne. Slaves throughout their entire history in this country were in constant battle and revolt against their slave owners, either trying to run away or doing any little thing they could to somehow make their lives easier than what it was. Were there slaves that were fine with their situation? Absolutely. But the vast, vast majority had zero interest in living their lives as property for another human being and did whatever they could to either escape bondage or kill their owners or any little thing that may have, as I said, made their lives easier as slaves as human property. We think of slavery as something that happened hundreds of years ago. It didn't. I know 160 years seems like a long, long time ago. It's really not. It's a blink of an eye in history. And the fact that after slavery was abolished in this country, the Constitution added the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments that supposedly gave freedoms to blacks, but all it really did was allow whites to set up a new system to enslave black folks. And for anybody that hasn't seen the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay, I recommend you watching that. It explains how after the Civil War with the 13th amendment saying that slavery was outlawed with the exception of prisoners and people that were arrested, this whole system of mass incarceration in this country began and you have a new form of slave labor and now prisons become a business. And for that business to thrive, you need prisoners and inmates. How do you get those prisoners and inmates? you degrade an entire race of people. And when you do that, you're able to arrest them on charges that are false or misleading. And you send them to prison for periods of time that would far outlast a white prisoner for the same crime. And here's the thing about all of this. Some of you will say, well, okay, Jesse, you've educated yourself, so you know all of this. You're aware of our history on a deeper level. You're aware of what police have done to black communities around the country for decades and decades. And yes, I have made it my life's mission to educate myself and try and better the situation for black people as a whole, and specifically for black people in my life. But here's the thing. Yes, it took me getting a college education and educating myself to learn all this. The thing is, as a white male, I've done all this. There are black children as young as four and five years old that already know this. And the burden that they carry because they have that knowledge, it affects them psychologically, emotionally. And the reason that I know this is because for over a year, I worked at a daycare center that was predominantly black children and had a few white children as students as well. And I would have conversations with students as young as four and five that were maybe misbehaving in class. So we would take them aside and try and talk to them and figure out, you know, why they're acting out in class or why they were calling somebody names or just, you know, whatever behavior it might've been. And I had students again, as young as four and five years old that would say to me, I know what I did was wrong and please give me another chance because I don't want the cops called on me. And, The first time I heard that, I was like, well, we wouldn't call the cops on you because just because you were a little noisy in class, that's not a reason to call the police on you. But they would say, I know I have to be good. I know I have to behave. Otherwise, the cops are going to come arrest me and I'm going to spend my life in jail. And I can't tell you when you are sitting face to face with a four or five year old. And you hear them tell you that they are scared of police and they're scared of going to jail forever or possibly dying at the hands of police, the rage that will boil up inside of you. And if you weren't already, quote unquote, a woke white person, or if you weren't already an activist working for equity in this country that'll turn you into an activist really quick. To look in the eyes of somebody so young and so innocent that they already know the burden that they carry with them because of their skin color. And that should enrage every single person that hears this. It should enrage every single American that has been told... This similar type of story, but they simply dismiss it because it's not a part of their lives. They're not directly affected by it, so they think they have that privilege to ignore it. And this knowledge, this burden that these children are carrying at such a young age was spoken about by Baldwin in a talk to teachers. He said, All this enters the child's consciousness much sooner than we as adults would like to think. As adults, we are easily fooled because we are so anxious to be fooled. But children are very different. Children, not yet aware that it is dangerous to look too deeply at anything, look at everything, look at each other, and draw their own conclusions. They don't have the vocabulary to express what they see, and we, their elders, know how to intimidate them very easily and very soon. But a black child, looking at the world around him, though he cannot know quite what to make of it, is aware that there is a reason why his mother works so hard, why his father is always on edge. He is aware that there is some reason why, if he sits down in the front of the bus, his father or mother slaps him and drags him to the back of the bus. He is aware that there is some terrible weight on his parents' shoulders which menaces him. And it isn't long. In fact, it begins when he is in school before he discovers the shape of his oppression. For somebody so young to carry that weight on their shoulders absolutely has to have not only short-term effects, but long-term effects. How can somebody have that burden? thrust upon them and know that that burden is on them, but yet have the patience, have the understanding to sit quietly in a classroom all day. How can somebody so young and have that burden thrust upon them be able to walk down the road and feel safe? They can't because it's ingrained in them so young that because of the color of their skin, they are already a part of society that is being ostracized, that is shunned, that is looked down upon for no other reason than that color of their skin. Baldwin knew this. Baldwin lived this. Growing up in New York in the 20s and 30s, he saw this not only with himself, but with his younger brothers and sisters. It ate him up so much he had to leave the country in order to live as normal of a life as possible because he knew that rage was eating him up inside and it would destroy him in the form of lashing out or standing up to an authority that he, in society's mind, shouldn't stand up to. And he would face the violence that so many black men and women are facing today. Yet he had the courage and the strength to come back to this country. As we talked about last week, stand up to this country. Look his oppressors in the face and speak truth to their power. And say, yes, you may have this power over me that I am trying to fix and reverse. But that does not make you better than me. That does not make you more free than me. That does not make me any less of a person than you. And it's that strength and that courage that Baldwin showed that we should all carry with us every day. To have the strength and the courage to stand up for those that are still oppressed, to have the strength and the courage to stand up for ourselves because we know what's happening to black and brown people in this country is wrong and it's been wrong for 400 years. And this election is not going to change everything, but it can change some things. It can give us the ability to take a longer, harder look at some of the injustices that have happened in this country for 400 years. You can't change a 400 year institution overnight. It's going to take time. And I hate saying that because I know people have died in this country fighting for that freedom and for that change and so many lives have been lost, so many families affected trying to bring about change. And I wish there was some magic way of having police reform, reversing judgments against people that have been jailed for small offenses of marijuana when marijuana is now legal in so many states. I wish there was a way to make good on our country's past history of transgressions. And I want to talk more about this next week when I talk even more about A Talk to Teachers. But for now, I'm going to stop it there. And after this short break, I will come back with the song of the week. So, I'm only going to have one song of the week this week because I want you guys to spend some time in thought and reflection after listening to the song, which will be available as always in my show notes. For me, jazz is the most uniquely American music ever made. Jazz is the freest music because there are no boundaries, there are no limitations. It gives one the opportunity to explore oneself as a musician, but also as a listener to explore yourself, your surroundings, and your own thoughts. For me, there was no greater jazz musician than Louis Armstrong. And the song of the week this week is West End Blues by Louis Armstrong and his Hot 7 recorded in 1928, and the song was written by Armstrong's mentor, King Oliver. For me, West End Blues is three of the most beautiful minutes in American music history. It happens at a time right before this country sinks into the Great Depression Before millions of people are out of work, families are torn apart, and before eventually this country gets into a world war fighting fascism. Many similar ideas and notions that are happening today. It begins with Armstrong and this amazing fanfare, and then you hit a slow moving almost a roller coaster of emotions for three minutes that if you allow it to will bring you to places that you've never even thought of and again to me that is the beauty of jazz music especially when it's done by somebody like louis armstrong I want to remind you guys that you can follow and give the show a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash america, or on Twitter at james underscore baldwins. You can email the show with thoughts or questions at baldwins.america at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you're listening from, and please leave a five-star rating. I appreciate you guys as always. I hope you all have a wonderful week. I will see you again next week when we spend some more time with a talk to teachers. Take care of yourself and each other. Peace.